Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, the host of Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. Over the course of the journey of being an entrepreneur, kind of my whole life, I've met some really incredible people that have learned how to leverage their brand, how to go and be themselves for a living, and then they've taken it up a notch. Nobody has taken it up a notch more than our guests today. When I think of leveraging your links, I think of my dear friend, one of my business heroes, someone that I have learned so much from in a very, very short amount of time. It's Denise Lambertson. Denise has learned how to go and get sweat equity to the next level. She actually probably has more sweat in the equity than anyone I've ever met. And she's been a part of brands that have disrupted industries ranging from the fitness industry to the food industry to the water industry. Brands like the RX Bar, brands like Core Water, and brands like Daily Harvest. Denise has been a part of this. I met her a few years back um, through a mutual friend. She was raising money for her fund through her company, which we're going to talk about in a second. And I quickly became fascinated with her story, knowing that she has worked for Grammy award-winning artists. She has worked for people that are Fortune 500 enthusiasts, uh, and she's done it her way. And she's pivoted multiple times, whether it's with COVID, whether it's with um, just life happening. And she's done it as a uh, kind person, which is the premise of this podcast. So today, we're going to talk about someone that has leveraged celebrity connections in the world of business and entrepreneurship, my friend Denise. So Denise, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that intro. I, it's one of my favorites. I, I like the nice really? part. That's uh, yeah. often overlooked. So I appreciate yeah. that. It, it kind of sucks. You know, I think that um, off um, off subject or off what we're going to talk about, you know, I, as a, I'm, I'm a fan of celebrity, a fan of sports, a fan of entertainment. And I worked for a really long time to get to a point where I had relative access and Unfortunately, most of my encounters left me uh, less of a fan. And, you know, you've been able to go and uh, manage that intersection between both. So maybe give us a little background on, you know, where you're at today and how you got there, knowing that I think, are you in South, North Carolina or South Carolina? North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina, which is not what people would normally think of when it comes to someone who is in the celebrity space and the branding space and how you've kind of pioneered, not kind of, but according to Forbes, you pioneered influencer marketing. So the, the, the godmother of influencer marketing is with us today. But what, what was the background that got you to where you're at today? Well, so the background for how I have the career that I have today uh, is starts off with a happy accident, a little bit of the right place with the right time, which is my first job out of college, I got this unbelievable experience to be Madonna's executive assistant. And uh, I worked for her for six years from 2003 to 2009 and really, you know, kind of catapulted my life in my career in so many different ways. I had um, the opportunity to go on tour three times. I got the opportunity to um, watch her record uh, three multi-million uh, selling albums. And uh, I got, she brought me to London to live for several years. And so that was an incredible experience. And really, uh, I didn't know it at the time. I, did, I was just so busy and just trying to get through it. But I, I learned so much just by being in her presence about the entertainment industry, about brand building, about pivoting, about evolving your career. Um, I built an incredible network while I was working with her, which I also kind of did 
you know, without, again, remember it was my first job out of college. So I didn't really think through, you know, oh, I've got a network. I just, I just kind of happened. Um, and I probably learned the most valuable um, uh, business tool that I take with me every single day and I call on every single day, which is the concept of resourcefulness. Um, you know, she was a woman that was not used to hearing no. And so just figuring out how to do things um, became my superpower. And for everything that I have done since, I um, I lean on that tool because it can be, you know, you can get a lot of no's in this, in this life and in this career. And so, so that has been a, a huge gift. Um, so that was, you know, that was the happy accident that started it all. And, you know, I left working with her in 2009, mostly because through that experience, I had the realization that, uh, I didn't want to work in the music industry. It just was not, that was not the lane that I wanted to be. And I felt, kept feeling myself gravitating towards the business side of it. I loved watching her do brand partnerships. I loved watching um, her, you know, get involved in the, the more creative parts of um, the campaigns that she was in. And so I, I decided uh, to leave just so that I could pursue that. And, you know, I, I left at a time when there wasn't uh, a lot of jobs out there, even for someone with such an interesting you know, career to date as mine. I left in the spring of 2009. And uh, I found that there were a lot of companies that were not hiring, but they wanted to work with freelancers. And so I started to freelance for brands. And that is kind of the platform with which I have since built my career. So, uh, you know, it's, um, I thought I was going to one day just find a job at one of these companies I was freelancing for and go in house. But the opposite happened. I kind of woke up one day and said, I don't think I need a job. I think I actually have a business. Like, how do I turn this into something for myself? Um, and, you know, and that's what I have gone and done. So what you did is what most people never even dream of doing. You went out on a limb and realized that if y'all think about this, the late 2000s, which wasn't that long ago, social media was a thing, but influencer marketing really wasn't something that you would talk about. And I think that what Denise did is that she trusted her gut, realized that the stuff that she had learned cannot be taught resourcefulness, but she had contacts, again, whether it's the material girl herself or people that she met along the way, and she decided to go and disrupt the entire industry of marketing. So I'd love for you to tell people kind of how you formulated your brand and your company and how it's evolved to kind of what it is today, but knowing that you were going to go and essentially be a matchmaker, not just a matchmaker for love, but people that would eventually fall in love with the product because you had access to these celebrities, but as important, if not more important, you had access to the brands. So what was in your headspace when you decided to go put this stuff together? We're fast forward to today, you're managing a fund, you have private investments and in incredibly disruptive uh, you know, CPG products and, and whatnot, but what was the planning like for that? Especially knowing there was an uphill battle that you didn't have a significant background, working in Wall Street, but your background of living in London with freaking Madonna, you know, it, it gave you, it, it, op it opened doors, but how, how did you go and formulate that and put a real plan in place? You know, Rogers, it wasn't so much a plan. It was that I would, I 
have always been slightly heady and, you know, been very observant. So I was, you know, I was observing some market factors that have informed, you know, different, I guess, mini plans that I've made along the way. But, you know, the first is when I left Madonna and I was freelancing in the beginning, I was freelancing for, um, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies that wanted uh, endorsements with celebrities. And I was helping create that. Uh, and, my observation when I was putting those together was that the majority of the celebrities that I were talking to were asking me about this interesting deal that had just gotten done where vitamin water had sold to Coca-Cola for $4 billion and 50 cent had made all this money off of an equity stake. So they were saying, you know, sure, I'm interested in doing this project with, you know, uh, this big company that you're working on, but like, what do you know about equity deals? Um, and enough people said it to me that I, you know, was like, oh, I should, I should figure that out. There's, there's something there. And I went and started to uh, look at that community, the startup community. And I was living in New York at the time, um, around 2010. And first, first of all, I walked into my first startup and looked around and I was like, so excited. There were young people everywhere. There was energy and enthusiasm. There was beer Fridays and, uh, you know, ping pong tables and uh, autonomy and moving really fast. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is where I want to be. Like, this is these are people who are passionate. And then I also saw that there, that they had customers in the celebrity um, category that they wanted to leverage, but they didn't know how to put the deals together. So, you know, that was my first major observation is there's nobody that can um, be this like celebrity startup whisperer, um, but I can be that. So I'm just going to start doing that and putting deals together and, um, you know, and see and see what happens from there. And that was my business plan in the beginning. The next observation uh, that came out of that that pivoted me specifically into influencer marketing is I began to work with a lot of healthy products. Uh, my first, my first startup was Guilt Group. If you remember um, that the Daily Deals boom of the of yeah. the two thousand, right? So, um, but but after that, I started to get enmeshed in the the healthy products consumer goods channel. And traditionally, before COVID, and certainly you know back in two thousand ten, if you were launching a healthy beverage or a snack. You weren't certainly you were not launching a D2C. You would get picked up by, you know, a certain market. And then if it did well, you know, if it did well in Costco in the southeast, then Costco in the northwest would take you, right? Or um, you know, if you were in Whole Foods, uh, you know, they would do a test and then they would in one market and then they would um bring it to other markets. So I would have these brands asking me for, you know, oh, I want to do a partnership with Rihanna or I want to do a partnership with Katy Perry. And I would look at them and they were, their product was only available in, you know, Whole Foods Northeast. And so like, what's the point of having Katy Perry or Rihanna out there talking about your brand if 98% of the people that hear what they're saying can't actually walk into a store and buy it yet because the distribution isn't there. So I was like, well... But how, how did you even notice... How did you know to think like that? I mean, like, what was the what was the trigger? What was the level of discernment where, you know, your background is not necessarily in like this is processes and this is procedures and this is forecasting. What, what was how did you give, give us a little hint into how that just kind of started to click? Yeah. So one of the amazing, um, you know, like 
baptism by fire that I did working with Madonna was that I got to read a lot of the um, endorsement offers that came her way that she turned down. And um, I got to read the offers that came her way that she, she said yes to. And I got to see the way that those uh, term sheets were set up. And, um, and, and so, uh, you know, most of the time they were national, if not international, right. I was, I worked for her when she did her H and M campaign, which was international. I worked with her when she did Dolce Gabbana, which is, um, national. And so I just, I was familiar with the way that those term sheets were structured because of the, you know, nature of my previous job. And so I would be going through with these brands and, you know, just asking them about how, you know, what are their channels? Like what, what are, how are we going to measure success and all of these things? And, you know, anecdotally, they would start, they would like send me sell sheets or what they're called in CPG, which is what they send to buyers and buyers are people at, um, you know, at the grocery stores who decide whether or not they're going to buy the product and put it on the shelf or in the refrigerator. So they would send me that because it was like the most comprehensive thing they had on their product. And I, I remember very, I was, I was working with an energy drink at the time, looking at it and just being like, how, what, this isn't make, like, how are we going to connect the dots here? Like we're, we're going to pay somebody in equity for national exposure, but like, you know, but their distribution hasn't caught up. It was just a series of connecting dots, frankly. Um, And, you know, that's, you know, and I remember the conversation that I had with the founder of that um, beverage brand and just, we both were kind of like scratching our heads, like how, you know, it was was this real, you know, brave new world to to a certain extent. But, but from that, I was able, you know, from that brainstorm, we were, we started to talk about, well, what can we do? Like, what can we do to get to a point where we can accelerate distribution so that then it makes sense to have a big celebrity? And that's, um, that's when we conceptualized what I called back then, you know, a local hero strategy, which, which now we call influencer marketing, which is like, let, you know, let's focus on getting a bunch of people that are in the Whole Foods Northeast region that have local credibility you know, a Rogers in Dallas, you know, that's like uh, this, this um, big fish and that has a lot of relationships and that may have a social media presence. And, you know, we're talking about Facebook at this point, Let, let's work with them to drive um, a really important metric for that I learned from, um, from my clients is velocity, you know, how quickly something sells on the shelf. And that's what that's is the um, signaler for buyers to bring you into other markets. So it's like, let's see if we can accelerate velocity so we can grow in distribution quicker and then we can attract a celebrity you know maybe this time next year do you remember your first deal i do um i remember my first deal was with a company called the chia company which was an australian-based uh chia remember the chia food craze um not chia pets but this was chia seeds Chia seeds Which... was a chia pudding, and we we ran a campaign with him, the a national campaign in the U.S. because he was a fan of the product, and um, they ended up running it because it was a video, and they brought him to the farm, and they ended up running it as. Um, out of home as like a commercial, which was astonishing to me in addition to some PR, et cetera. Anyways, it did really well for the business at the time. Um, and you know, and I, I don't know what's going on with the Chia company. Now Chia is an ingredient that has like since become less relevant. Um, but the success of that partnership in the short term was really, really strong. And honestly, 
it taught me how important that authentic connection is between talent and product. And, you know, I love the name of this podcast. Uh, you know, uh, what was it? Um, you know, selling, uh, but not selling out, right? Like that is the yeah. foundational message of celebrities and startups. Like, you know, you can't, you can't act your way through being a, you know, if you're just internally being like a, a the chief flavor officer for buy, like you, you have to really believe in it. If you're going to take an equity stake or invest your own capital, like you're, you know, it's really different than having a Coca-Cola endorsement. Right. So the idea of like selling something without selling, selling out is truly the foundation of these startup celebrity deals and why they work or why they don't. So is it so much so? I remember you telling me this one time a few years ago, but so much so to where is it, do celebrities even have interest in just a straight promo deal? You know, I mean, like if you think about back in the day, they would just get paid to hawk a, a phone or a, a cup. But now is it really the people that are worth it? Is it really just equity stake or bust? You know, it it has the pendulum has swung where I would say the majority of celebrities have a high, high interest in equity partnerships now. Traditional endorsements still have their place. Um, and in fact, you know, I think that in a lot of ways they can be helpful for the startup deal, um, as long as they're in different categories. Meaning if, you know, if Revlon is, has a $5 million ad budget to, you know, behind Gwen Stefani and they're putting her everywhere this year. And, but Gwen Stefani happens to love this supplement. And this is all, by the way, these are, this is an example. Um, uh, you know, she loves the supplement. She's going to participate from an equity perspective in that, you know, the supplement that's a startup gets to kind of ride the media dollars that the that Revlon is paying to put her everywhere, right? Because her profile is everywhere right now. Her social following is growing. Her share of voice is growing and the startup gets to participate in that. So as long as it's not, um, as long as they're not like out of value alignment, which is where you see the majority of problems come in, you know, oh, right. I'm a I'm eco-friendly and I'm working with this, you know, um, non-dye fashion brand, but I, uh, you know, the packaging is actually, you know, made out of, uh, you know, something that's clogging the, you know, the oceans and whatnot. Like you really have to do your homework across the board or else it can cannibal, they can cannibalize each other. Yeah. You got to go worst case scenario before you even get excited about anything. And I, I have to live a layer of that too. It takes a lot of the excitement out maybe of the deal, but it also takes out the, you know, how could I not get canceled uh, conversation. So, but, but you started Constellation Capital in 2018. But before that, was there a brand that gave you a different kind of a feel good? Like you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm a different kind of good at this. Was there something that you like I broker real estate deals, you know, that's kind of my day job. Uh, but with you, what was the first one that you did outside the Chia Seeds where you're like, all right, I got a tiger by its tail. I've pioneered an industry. There's other people starting to do this, whether it's in Dallas or it's in Dublin, Ireland. But what was the first one that gave you just that rocket ship? I, I got to do something feeling. It's a great question. Um, Thrive Market. So Thrive. I started working with Thrive Market in the six months before they launched. Right now we think of them as like a pretty substantial startup, um, but I started working with them uh, 2014 before they launched. And I just fell in love with the concept. Uh, you know, it was Costco, um, Costco model of membership, Whole Foods product set, and then 
you know, with every membership sold, they donate a mem- membership to um, a low-income family, a school teacher, or someone living in a food desert, right? So they're, the concept of like democratizing access to healthy food with, the, with um, buying in bulk at a discount can then also be, you know, the, the concentric circles can actually hit the people who need to be eating healthy the most and can probably afford to do it the least, right? So that's just the romance of that, like, was really um, swept me up. And it was, you know, it's an online platform, which was super revolutionary at the time. And we did, um, so we didn't have the problem of distribution that I just shared with you if it was just a product. So we actually went after both celebrity and influencer. We, it was a Facebook blogger program because it was 2014. Um, And um, they were driving a lot of the content that was building SEO, that was building credibility. Um, they were they were generating a ton of memberships, this blogger community that we brought in. And then I also brought in Jillian Michaels. And at the time, Jillian Michaels was, uh, you know, uh, the host of The Biggest Loser, which I think was like in its eighth or ninth season. That's a primetime NBC show. I think I'm saying NBC is right. Um, you know, I approached her about participating and she was, you know, she kind of was somewhere in between a celebrity and an influencer at the time where she's not an actor or a singer, but she's on this primetime show really well known. Um, and she understood the concept immediately um, and really dove like head into the project, helped them launch. Um, I, you know, I have incredible numbers on what she did that I'm fairly certain I'm not allowed to share, but she was a huge uh, driver of growth for them in year one. And, you know, between her and uh, the blogger program and watching those two uh, programs work together for this company that I felt really proud to be a part of because of what they were doing for the world, I was, you know, I was walking on air. I was just like, this is it. This is what I was meant to do. I couldn't, you couldn't stop me from talking about it. Like if you and I were, you know, going to grab lunch in 2014, I would have talked your ear off for, you know, 45 minutes about this incredible business and brand and everything I was doing. So, you know, that's a real trigger for me when I know that I'm in the right lane for myself or if I'm working for the right clients, when I just can't shut the F up about it um, and people have to like cut me off. You know what? There's a word for that. Oh, yeah? Passion. Passion. It's, it's, it's yeah, passion. A, a, a very overused word for people that don't understand it, but it, it's passion. And it's like when you fall in love and you, you meet somebody, it's like you can't fake that feeling. And I think that a lot of people, again, they sell out and they do something just because they're making money or they're, or they're comfortable. But you, you found something. And this is, again, this is 2014, so you're still four years b- before you go and launch your you know, you're massively successful company, but what was, and again, by the way, I think a fun question people are going to wonder, how do you even like, if I want to search for a property, I get on MLS. Okay. You want Jillian Michaels. What's, what's that spider web game? There's not like a search engine other than Google. Are you on just hustling, beating the streets, especially at her peak? This is like peak Jillian Michaels where she's still obviously a superstar, but I mean, what's your process for that? As long as it's not something you, you, you know, you don't have to keep confidential. No, not at all. Well, I mean, you know, honestly, a lot of it, Rogers, back then was a network and, you know, it's a very, um, 
it's a very tight ecosystem in the entertainment industry. And she had achieved a level of success whereby she was like, you know, her manager was, was um, three steps removed. And I was, you know, a series of introductions got me to her. But, you know, for, for those that are startup founders that are maybe listening to this, um, there's now incredible tools that you can subscribe to. Um, uh, one that is called who represents, uh, com, and you can type in someone's name and what will come up is their, uh, agent, their manager, their publicist, and their lawyer, and the, you know, the, the phone number and the email and the name. So, um, you're still cold emailing at the end of the day. So, you know, it, you have to have a real compelling, you know, email and, and pitch, uh, and certainly if you can find somebody through LinkedIn that like knows that person already and can get give you a warm intro, I would highly recommend it. I like it. Okay, so here we are still 2014-ish. Get us to 2018, Constellation Capital uh, and just okay. the story behind it, the name, the mission, you know, and, and just, you know, from one business owner to another, I, this, there's, no, there's no manual, right? There's nothing that says, here's how you are a successful CEO mm -hmm or an owner, but it just goes back to where, you know, hopefully people like you and me are a statistic in a good sense that you had another idea. You decided to go full bore, much like you did with everything else up to that point. But what was the, what was the process to get us to Constellation Capital, which was only four years ago, but you know, God knows how much you've grown as a, as a person, but also as a business leader in those four years, but get, get us to that point. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, such an important connectivity between the work I was doing at LMS, the Thrive Markets of the World to Constellation. Uh, I, I couldn't have launched Constella Constellation Capital without the experience of LMS. But, you know, back to that um, previous sentiment about, you know, really not having a plan, but just being an observer, I started to notice that celebrities and athletes investing was becoming popular. And I had an experience myself with, um, with a client of mine named Watermelon Water, where I had uh, connected them with Beyonce for something that I thought was going to be years away. And because they didn't really have the infrastructure to support that kind of relationship. But they had a real desire to build kind of this, um, you know, to build up to it. So, and, and she's, you know, one of the top five biggest names out there. So I was like, we got to start early. We were doing the influencer program and she flipped the script and said, oh, I know you're too small for me to be an endorser right now, but I'd really like to invest. And I was like, shocked. I was like, wait, you want to give us money like that? What? This is not, this is like disturbing the natural order of things. Brands give you money. Like how on earth? Um, and it was such an incredible deal to put together. And, and, you know, I got to learn so much about capital and how capital goes into business through that process. And then also I got to bring my expertise in, you know, how you, engage and deal with celebrity and what they need in any business, um, in any business setting. And I got to the end of that and, you know, sh and we made the announcement and I was so excited. Uh, and all of a sudden, all of my other clients start calling saying, I want Beyonce to invest in my business. I want celebrities to invest. I don't want to do sweat equity alone anymore. Like I want to invest, you know, and on the flip side, the talent that I knew, you know, was a little bit slower on that front. They started to ask me for, you know, if you see anything really cool, 
that I should invest in, I'm thinking about starting to invest. Or they would text me pictures from, you know, um, natural grocery stores and be like, I really like this. Is this something I could invest in? Um, And so I just really put two and two together. And I was like, I don't, you know, for legal reasons, I can't actually, um, you know, the structure of investments, you have to be a, a broker dealer, you have to have a certain kind of license to, uh, to go out there and raise money for, for, um, from individuals into startups. So I was really struggling with, I've got these two sides of the market that want each other, but like, where do I fit in? Where does my marketing agency fit in? Is it really marketing? Like, how does it work? And, um, I started to have some people recommend, a fund to me. And I was probably 2016. And, and honestly, I, I blew it off immediately. I was like, no way. I don't have the experience. I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, kind of all of those imposter syndrome things that you hear. I, I just, it, it was never, I never took it seriously. Um, finally, an advisor that I really respect uh, and I were, were getting together and he was saying the same thing. And you know, I said to him, I just, uh, like, I don't really know how it works. Uh, and he goes, I don't think you understand your marketing agency is essentially functioning like a venture capital, just without the capital you're sourcing deals, you're bringing strategics into it. You're, um, you know, you're diligencing them on behalf of the celebrity. Like you, these are all things. It's about network and access. You've got network, you've got access. Like, you, the only thing you don't have is the capital yet. And that will be easy for you to do. Like you're overthinking this. This is not, it, you know, this is not that hard. And I, that really stuck with me. Uh, and then, you know, I went, went and looked at my roster of clients and, you know, at the time I think I had like 18 of my clients get acquired since I started the business. And I was like, actually, he's right. If I had been a fund in this the whole time, like I would, be one of the most successful funds in my industry based off of the returns that other people are getting based off of the deals that I'm doing. So, you know, it was, that was kind of the first step to me really being like, Hey, this, this is something that I might want to pursue. Um, you know, so that was, that was one side. And then honestly, for a while I was kind of like, okay, I think I want to do this, but what's, what's my angle? Why me? Why, why would I be the one um, why would people give me their money to invest? And why would companies really want want me to invest? And, um, you know, I, I ended up having a very serendipitous conversation with the actress Sofia Vergara, where she indicated to me that she wanted to start investing more. And she w- was really interested in investing in the, the companies that I saw because, you know, she uses a lot of them and she likes a lot of them, but she just doesn't have the capacity necessarily to, and nor does her team to like diligence them and get into the right things. And, you know, I, I put two and two together. I was like, Hey, I think I have enough of a network and community that wants to invest where I could bring them together, these high profile people uh, and their capital. And then we could deploy money into the brands that I really believe in on their behalf. And I can mix in the marketing piece on top of that. Like that is a recipe that is something different and special. Um, and that was really, you know, it was the conversation with Sophia that, and she ended up becoming the anchor LP in the fund, which was, you know, incredible. And, and I'm so grateful to this day that she, uh, you know, she really 
let me go out and um, share with the world that she believed in me enough to do this. And she introduced me to a lot of great people who came in. But yeah, it was, um, that was the evolution. It was like, oh, wow, this is what talent wants. And hey, this is, you know, it took me a while to figure out where I fit in. But when I figured it out, I was like, that's the move. You essentially had a merger with yourself. Yeah, you, totally. you, you know, it, it's like in, in her other company, it's called LMS. And, you know, it, and she had this epiphany where, you know, business owners, I think that everyone gets into a rut. And if you do the same thing long enough, eventually it just becomes a little bit mundane. But I think that as you challenge yourself and you live on this island as a business owner, you have to go and find ways to use your brain. And your light bulb moment was like, oh my gosh, I have these two people that need to just go and be one person. And that's where it all, you know, it, it all, it all began. So uh, obviously raising money for fun. That's how I met you and uh, was blessed enough to meet you through Chris Camillo, uh, who was one of our, our first guests on the show and uh, have learned an ungodly amount of uh, knowledge from him as well. But you did this and all of a sudden you got introduced to the world of finance, the world of capital, the world of fundraising. And, you know, you went on your, your road trip to go and, you know, share the good news of Constellation Capital and, and Denise. And I'm sure that was a whole nother you know, lesson that you had learned, but maybe get us to the first roadblock and, and you realize that, you know, the lack of background doesn't really matter until you get to a point where, you know, you're faced with some obstacles. But what was COVID something that was that was difficult for you or is that just another, you know, bump in the road? What was the first thing that you came to and you, you, you persevered? You, you proved your resourcefulness once again in a field dominated by people that maybe don't have the same background as you. My first roadblock was long before COVID on Constellation, um, you know, and really it was when I started to raise capital from non-celebrities. You know, most people, and it's, it's so interesting, most of the world thinks, oh, there's, it's so hard to get a celebrity into my brand or into my fund. That was the opposite experience for me, mostly just because I've been doing business with that community for so many years, seven or eight years at that point. Um, so really when I went out to you know, raise capital from angel investors and family offices. Um, I had, I was coming off a string of yeses from other celebrity investors, from celebrity investors. And I just thought I was going to cruise right into town and um, I was just going to get more yeses. And really the, the kinds of questions I was being asked, I wasn't prepared for um, the, what they, you know, there, there was not that built in trust with me because I had, I was getting introduced to people who were, um, who I didn't know before that, um, a lot of them were people who hadn't had a significant amount of money made in, um, you know, non-consumer businesses. So there, there was a, you know, I thought my marketing background was really going to translate, but they didn't understand it. And I didn't understand how to explain to them what, why it was so valuable. And um, there were some like real heartbreaking days there where I just, um, you know, I just felt like an idiot and I, I didn't think I was going to be able to finish the fund. And um, I was so, you know, just heartbreaking. The imposter syndrome comes um, rushing back in. And, uh, you know, and COVID did hit right, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, the majority of that painful point for me in the fundraising process came in 2019. And obviously COVID hit in early 2020. Um, you know, and what was so interesting about COVID was the, especially in that first year, 2020, the, the, 
bark was worse than the bite, right? Like we all froze in March and I was like, I'm never going to be able to raise money. All of our clients are going to disappear. You know, traditionally when, when um, anyone in business gets scared, like the first thing they cut is marketing, right? It's a variable cost. You're just like, right. And so it was just like, oh my God, you know, all of these companies are going to just disappear, et cetera. But then, you know, the market started to, uh, the market started to shift to like, you know, a needs-based system. So what we saw was it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. People still need their, their food and beverage. And, um, you know, so the majority of our investments in clients are in, are actually in the healthy product category consumables. So, you know, you can't, um, and, and the nature of the the Black Swan event was that it's it was health related. So people are taking their health more seriously than they ever have before. So whatever you know, small amount of um, uh, you know income that they have um, to spend on non essentials, they're just they're spending on healthier versions of what they were previously buying because keeping themselves healthy became such a premium. So really, it was a it was a moment of fear. But then the majority of our clients started doing really well and the majority of our investments. And that was, you know, and then the, 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 all the gains in the stock market and raising money became easier again, because, you know, there were a lot of people making a lot of money in, in the um, public sector. So 2020, you know, terrifying as it was, and, and um, kind of like stopped me in my tracks, COVID. But then, you know, then it started to, to churn out. And really, we're seeing the the um, effects of 2020 and what what a lot of other industries sees, we're about to see it now going into this um, this economic reset. If you think about, uh, you know, the what's happened in in marketing with data changing the way that people can uh, the efficacy of digital marketing ads that you know you spend a lot more to get a lot less uh, customers and um, yep. you converge that with what's going on in uh with the economy and and people you know layoffs happening and all of those things we're we're gonna start seeing the real problems that we envisioned in 2020 they're they're gonna start happening now which is which is unfortunate but it's also it's it is the cycle of um it is the cycle so yeah this is all a perfect lead into one of the next questions as a you know, very, you're very accomplished, very published, very well known, and you have great PR for your company, which obviously is um, a great compliment to the people that you work with, whether it's Sofia Vergara or me, you're, you're, you're very well qualified, but Forbes is a big fan of yours. And, you know, they, they, pu- they published something a while back that was you, something about learning how to get to essentially yes after hearing no. And it sounds like you've kind of levered that pre-COVID, post-COVID, mid-COVID, whatever. Uh, but what, what would be your, your advice for all of us that are you know, whether we're in startup mode or reset mode or, or figured out mode, what, what's the uh, what's the secret sauce to getting there after someone essentially said no chance? So I've developed what I call um, a say it first strategy. And what that means to me, and, and this is advice I give a lot of people, especially people who are kind of on the precipice of success or are, you know, fundraising or starting something new. Um, you know, there's going to obviously going to be like a lot of peaks and valleys through of confidence through that process. Um, but when you have those big meetings, whether they're with investors or potential partners or, you know, PR or whatever it is, if you walk in and 
if you address all of the objections first yourself, and I'm sure you, you can relate to this because, you know, in selling objections is such a big, you know, how you handle objections is such a big piece of it. But, you know, if I, I would walk into rooms, especially with fundraising and say, listen, I have no prep whatever bad thing somebody was going to say about me, I decided I was going to say it first. I have no experience in venture capital. Uh, I have, um, you know, I, I don't have a traditional track record. Uh, and, you know, the opportunity I'm about to share with you is like very, very high risk and really alternative. Like, so basically just naming all the, the objections first. And then I would kind of move into, but this is why it's uh, an interesting opportunity, or this is all the reasons that we're going to win. And just the, you know, it, it takes you from, um, you know, playing defense to playing offense on your own narrative. And it really diffuses that situation um, and gives you back a lot of power and control in, in the conversation. So that's, that's always my advice is this uh, say it first strategy. Um, you know, handle, just, just address the objections straight on and do it yourself. Don't wait to be asked. I like that. I always tell people that if I make fun of me first, you can't make fun of me. And if you do, it's not as funny as it was unless I did it first. So I, I think there, there's ways to disarm people. And I, I think there's a fine line between being vulnerable and being dumb. Uh, and I think people appreciate, especially now we live in such a world where everyone, you know, is masked by social media, their phone. And I think if you lead with just being yourself, it gives people a different reason to trust you. Here's a fun question that maybe you have not been answered. If you were a brand, what brand would you be? Ooh, if I was a brand, bonus question, I like what celebrity it. would, what celebrity yeah, would you I'm be? That one. I'm not touching that one. Um, I'll do a brand that I would be is uh, monopoly. I, I love the brand of Monopoly. I think it's super fun. It's gamifying. It has relevancy to today, but it's rooted in like, you know, some really interesting history and, um, you know, it gets everyone involved. It's, it plays, uh, pushes a huge emphasis on strategy and skill and your ability, like interpersonal relationships at the table. Um, so I would be the, I would be the Monopoly brand. I like that. Okay. And uh, as a female founder, uh, as someone who is, you know, proven to be re relentless and resourceful, what would be your advice for female founders specific? Whether it's in the capital space, it's in the disruption space, just whatever it is, what would you want to know if you were them starting over? Uh, I would want to first acknowledge that it's going to be harder than it would be for your male peers. And um, you know, that, that you can either, uh, you can either be victimized by that or empowered by that. Um, and that, you know, if you choose to be empowered by it, um, don't, don't try to become more masculine in, in those situations to fit in really, um, you know, lean into the, you know, the, the true self that you are, the reason why you started the company that you started, you know, your founding story, your personal connection, um, the unmet need. And if you try and oh, oh, like um, cookie cutter that into, um, into a story that you think is going to resonate the way that it does for your male peers in a male environment, um, you're doing it a disservice. And I think you'll do significant, I think you'll be significantly happier and have a lot more like self respect. Um, if you, you know, if you stay true, I love that. How about the best advice you've ever received? 
The best advice I've ever received was um, from my uncle, who's kind of a wacky guy. God love him. Um, he has two great sayings that I say all the time. Um, the first is, uh, if you're scared, you're ready, which... Mm is a really like what a call to action, right? Like if you're scared, you're ready. Um, and then the second, which is not so much advice, but a great life mantra is, that he says all the time is uh, life is a beautiful thing, which, uh, which is a great punctuation to any sentence. I like that. Um, a lot of innocence is lost as a business owner. You start to learn things at a different speed. Do you find yourself in situations where you're still scared? I mean, knowing what you've done and knowing the fact that you've made it through multiple layers that most people just collapse, but do you ever get that rush anymore of trying to go and put together the next big deal? Oh, absolutely. Uh, all the time. Um, I think if you, you know, the flip side of if you're scared, you're ready is like, if you, if you really care about the quality of work that you're doing, you're, always going to be a little scared because you're always going to, you know, you're going to want this deal to work. You're going to want, you know, to that you're going to want it to deliver on all of the things and all of its potential. And, you know, you put yourself out there, especially, and I know you connect with this on, on the real estate side, you're, you're a broker, you're bringing people to different parties to the table and telling them all their dreams are going to come true. If we just move a little here and mess, right. And like, so that's a big promise um, to yeah. to, uh, to make, and so there's there's some fear in that for sure. Yeah, well, that makes you feel alive. If you're if you're scared, you're ready. A friend of mine once said, her uncle said that. So I I, I like that. Um, okay, so uh, last question, most important question for for the episode for the show: how, how do we support you? How do we follow your journey? How do we go and see the products that you're helping, you know, magnify on, on the world's greatest lens? What, what's our uh, ability to go and, and, and show you and your, your company and your team and your, your people support? Gosh, I, it is, um, it dovetails so well with if you're scared, you're ready because, you know, like the saying of like, if doctors are the worst patients, so marketers are the worst like self-promoters. I have been forcing myself and it is painful, but I have been forcing myself to do a TikTok a day, um, just talking Ooh. like this, like the way that you and I talk, because that's what I tell all of our founders to do. Like TikTok is the ultimate platform right now, and it's so different than everything that we've experienced on Facebook and Instagram. And you really have to shift your mindset to um, to to uh, to see your brand perform on it. And the best way to do that is to put yourself out there first. And I've said it so many times that I um, now feel ridiculous for not doing it myself. So I've started to do it. And so if you want to support me, you can come and um, be encouraging and engage in the conversation with me on my, on TikTok. And because uh, uh, that is my, that is my scary place right now. And, you know, I do talk about the companies that we're invested in. I do talk about our clients. I talk about the market uh, conditions that I'm seeing and the industries and the trends and all of that. I try to talk about the things that I love because, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, when I really love something, I can't shut up about it. So I'm trying to bring that energy and passion to, uh, to TikTok. Are you doing like dances? Are you over here coordinating dances? No. Um, are you, are you trying to go viral? What if to bring it full circle, what if someone discovers you and they say, we want you to go and promote our product on your TikTok, And then it's another merger. It's LMS, it's constellation. Then it's just Denise. And next you, you drop your last name. You just go by a symbol and it's just I, Denise. 
Wow. I mean, anything is possible. Um, <laughs> anything is possible, but I would say that's probably the most far-fetched. Uh, I will say though, what I tell a lot of the influencers and the celebrities that we know is um, you should be posting and talking about products, regardless of whether or not you have a partnership or an investment in them. As long as you like them, maintain that authenticity, just talk about what you like. And I do that too. There are certain companies that, you know, they don't, they don't meet our services at LMS, but I still give them shout outs because, Hey, they're doing a great job and they're, they're lifting the whole industry up. So why not, why not share the love? Um, and so you'll, you'll see, see me talking about all sorts of stuff, but gosh, um, being famous is is like my worst nightmare. So I hope I hope not that. So I, I think the world of self promotion is is only getting more significant. And Denise is a different uh, brand. She's a different connector. She's got the special sauce, and that's why I wanted her to be on the show today. So Denise, we are excited to continue to support you with LMS, with Constellation, with your TikTok channel, and with all the brands that you help put together. So thanks for being on the show, and I uh, look forward to hearing about you more in the future. Amazing. Rogers, thank you so much for having me and thank you for your friendship and your support always. It has been one of the greatest uh, gifts of this fund has been meeting you and uh, building our friendship. So thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for inviting me today. I really, I had a lot of fun. I'm Denise Lambertson and this is how you sell without selling out. Rogers that.